This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. There we go. We are live. We're recording. We are we're simmering because we're about to be on fire here, people. This one's going to be good. I'm excited. Uh, this guest is a great, great guy, business leader, entrepreneur, business leader, and that kind of hustle, hard work, grind to grow mentality. Uh, he's always inspirational whenever I get a chance to hang out with him. Uh, a friend as well, owner of JC Fence, Matt Cheridana. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing, Casey? Good morning. Thank you very much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Definitely an yeah, honor. man. It's great to have you on here. I mean, this is this is, you know, leadership in action. We're gonna we're gonna crush some myths here. So let me just let me just pass the baton to you and say, you know, what is a common misconception about leadership or being an entrepreneur? Absolutely. So uh the one myth that I really want to bust today, uh bust wide open is I feel one of the most important things that sometimes entrepreneurs and business leaders don't get right. And that is that they need to be on top of every single situation and every single uh, task that their company has at hand. And I really want to smash that open today. So you don't need to be on top of everything. No, you don't. It's unfortunately something that uh, most business owners think when they get into their business, usually they're probably the best at what they do, which is what gave them the confidence to get into it on their own. And for a bunch of different reasons, uh, they just feel like they need to be on top of everything from beginning to end and to grow a business. I think that uh, that's just a total myth. You don't need to do that. You know, it sounds like the epitome of micromanaging, right? Absolutely. Being on top of every detail. Where does this come from? Why, why, why do we feel that compulsion to want to just have our fingers in everything? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, obviously I was one of those people who practiced that. So I can speak from personal experience yes. and it just seemed always that, you know, I was, I felt like the guy who cared the most. I was the guy who had the heart of the company in hand the most. I was the one that understood what we needed to do. So why wait for somebody else to do it wrong? You know, that old adage, as they say, if you want something done right, do it yourself. To a point that may be true, but in a business, you can't grow a business in a very wide uh, range if you feel like you have to touch everything. So I think that's it. A lot of uh, entrepreneurs are control freaks and they want that control and they find it very difficult to let go of that control. Yeah, that you brought up that, that age old adage, if you want something done, done right, do it yourself, um, which, you know, works on an individual small scale basis. But but actually, it seems like it may that may be holding you back when it comes time to growing something. Absolutely. Uh, you know, if you can do just so many things, eventually you've reached capacity and your business can only grow to that capacity that you can take it. And you may be, as that entrepreneur, really good. And maybe your capacity is greater than the average person. And certainly, again, if you went into business on your own, you probably feel pretty confident that that is you. But it's still one of those things where if you're going to run a business, you should take it seriously. and you should really, uh, you know, know what you want in that business. And if your plan is to grow, you have to start earlier, often uh, giving up those controls, giving up those reins and finding people that you can lean on and delegate to in order to, you know, get that out of your hands so you can grow to a larger size. It's a really good point about knowing what you want and letting that help drive decisions you're going to make. <laughs> because if you don't know what you want, then you're just going to be 
flailing all over the place, but let's say you decide you want to grow. Um, it, sometimes people don't even want to necessarily grow, but you want to have a better work-life condition because when you were describing that, you know, if you, if you don't let go of things, then the company just maxes out to your own personal capacity. And no one's Superman here, right? You're, you're not the Flash. So you only have so much time so that your company is going to be that big. And that's, that's the only size it can ever get to because you're holding it back to your own capacity. So if you have that desire to want to grow, things have to change. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's a, a really home uh, type of statement for me being in the trades industry. Um, and listening to a lot of your podcasts, maybe I bring a little bit of a different view uh, than most people. Just being in the trade, uh, it's very difficult. And it's, again, a myth. Part of this myth is that you'll never find people that you can teach and trust and delegate to. You know, in the trades, it's a little bit more difficult to find that really refined, really home run uh, core value type person. So you think, well, I'll just have to keep doing this forever. But, you know, it's really important, I think, even more important in this type of uh, a trades world to smash that because, again, you don't want to beat your body up. You don't want to be the guy in the trenches every single day. And, you know, eventually you're not going to be able to see your family because you're looking at jobs at night and you're in the field during the day. You're out on weekends trying to put out fires. You know, definitely not a great mentality to take if you want to have a happy, long lasting personal life as well as uh, a flourishing business life yeah and stay married you know past a year or two <laughs> exactly you <know>? yeah <laughs> absolutely you, you mentioned the, the trades can let's, let's talk more about this because it sounds like it adds an extra interesting element to the need to let go is it is it the added physical aspect of it you're not just in an office you're out yeah. in the field touching things what is it yep i believe so um you know all trades for the most part they do have a uh you know, I guess an action-based service, you are sometimes selling a product uh, and the product is part of your, your income and sales. And, you know, perhaps you, you flourish your business on just selling the parts, but most of the time there's actually a service that's being provided and that's performing the plumbing, uh, putting in the electrical installation of the fence. Maybe it's mowing the lawn, whatever it is that, you know, that trade uh, offers, it has to be done by somebody. Uh, and if you're going to hire people to do it for you, it has, those people have to be managed etc. Um, and in my trade, particularly, we noticed that someone will come in and work for a fence company and they'll get really good at putting up fence to the point where they have that confidence, where they feel that they're an expert and they can branch out on their own. And usually, uh, I'd say 90% of the time, um, I forget who it was, I think it was Napoleon Hill that said like 80% of all new businesses fail within the first five years. Usually it's because that person is an expert at that, that task, that uh, service, but they aren't an expert at what we're talking about, that myth of, of getting people to work for you and believing in what you do so that you don't have to do it. And they burn themselves out. Um, they're burning at all ends. They're trying to be the guy that loads the crew in the morning, then goes out and puts the fence up, then has to find that new work, price it, order it, you know, get it delivered on time. And that really is a lot of, of work for one individual to do. So you're going to eventually fail. You're eventually going to not be able to do it the way that you'd like. And, you know, in the trades, that's where I see it, unfortunately, hitting the most. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned earlier, you know, selecting for culture and, and the attitude of someone who's going to go out there, work hard, you know, trustworthy, all those things, which anyone, any company can relate to wanting to find that. And, and then also, do they have the, the mental skills to, you know, figure out the problems and, and execute the job? Almost any job can relate to that. But there's that added X 
you know, extra physical aspect, do they physically have the coordination or the strength or the endurance to be out in the fields? Or we talked about today, it's kind of rainy and cold, you know, do they have the ability to even, it's almost like an additional selection criteria. So I can see how it's that much harder to find people to then replace you. And it's that much harder to find people that can be as close as possible to that. I know if I did, it'd be perfect, but you know, maybe somebody else can get it really close, but man, when business leaders don't see it coming close at all, then it really kind of makes you want to not replace yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's a scary thought to think that if you were the best salesman for your company, that you could replace yourself with somebody else who maybe doesn't know that industry or care in your mind as much as you do. But if you're the only person that sells jobs, you're maxed out at the amount of jobs that you can sell in a day. And so that's where that hard line, you know, uh, gets crossed. Yeah. And then if you want to spend time with your family, your kids, or something on the weekend, like a regular human, well, I guess you're not selling anything. That's right. <laughs> you're the only, yeah, the only one person doing that. Yeah. I can relate yep. to that. Yep. Sure. You, you got to get people doing these things, you know, for you, with you, so that you're not, you, you're not, the bottleneck at any one of the places of your company. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Yeah. Do you have, do you have any recommendations? You, you mentioned you were there, you were kind of in that micromanaged world and somehow you're able to start delegating things out. Any, any recommendations, any places we can focus? Yeah. So I'd say, uh, you know, to start off with the first thing that's the most important really is, is just knowing yourself. And like you said, that's probably any business you want to know, what is it that I want to get from this business? Did I just go into business so that I didn't have somebody telling me what to do? Well, if that's the case, then maybe you're a guy that doesn't mind, you know, going that extra mile and doing all that work. But like we said, that's not a great way of life. But did I take this new business on so that I could make more money so that I could free up time? And if you do that, you know, what is the core plan, the goals, the, the, right. the goals, the values? What do I want for my company? So once you do that, and you've set that in stone, it makes it a little bit easier to build the team. So the first is, is to know your, your end result, know the, the, uh, the finish line, and maybe that changes as time goes on, but at least have a pretty good idea. And once you know that, you have to build a team. So the second thing is, is building that team around you. And at first, that's the hardest part. Um, it's finding those people like you, depending on what the field is, that are both physically capable in my uh, neck of the worlds, but also mentally capable as well. And knowing that they want what you want when you explain to them your desires that they light up in their eyes and they see it too. You pick that team and slowly but surely you find different people who maybe they're not like you, that they're really good at all the tasks that are at hand, but maybe they can be good at one of those tasks. And slowly but surely you add a person. I'll speak outside of the, uh, the answer for a minute, but that was certainly yeah. the hardest part. I would hire somebody. Um, you know, maybe five or six people in a season when I first started doing this. And in a year, I might keep one. Uh, the other four or five just didn't work out, whether it was physically or mentally, et cetera. But I kept one. Um, and then next year, you try five again, and maybe you keep one. And it takes time. It's not the easiest, but that's really the most important thing is being patient, finding those core people and building that team. Um, you know, the third thing I think that is important is once you've established that team and you feel like you can, well, actually, before we get to three, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Quick. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, man, number two, um, you said this, in, you kind of snuck this point in there, but man, it really resonated for me. The idea of maybe the people that you're putting on this team aren't like you. And I think at the beginning, we tend to re naturally recognize people like us, but we weren't necessarily great 
that's right working either you know we yep. and so yes we sort of clone ourselves a little bit but man someone who could be you know way better at planning or way better at managing every little tiny detail they they may seem completely different than us and and i know for me it was one of those things where i had to say okay this person seems weird well they're weird to you because they actually manage these details so why don't let that you know, make you afraid of getting them on the team. They actually might be amazing. Like you need them. You need people that aren't just like you. I mean, yeah. just like your attitude, sure, but not just your strengths, you know, exactly. other people with different strengths. That was a yeah. huge point. Yeah. So for example, uh, it's funny. I own a fence company. So you would think that I owning a fence company would be pretty good at putting up fence. Well, that's also a myth. I'm actually not that good at putting up fence. Like you say, you want to hire people who are really good at fence. So I'm more about numbers and more about, uh, you know, systems. And that's what gets my gears going. So when I talk to people who aren't that way, like you say, maybe it seems different, but the people who are really good at putting up fence, usually they're very hands-on and they're very patient and they're very creative. Well, that's, you know, a little bit different than me. Those are the types of people I needed to hire to complement what I was bad at. So, uh, absolutely hundred percent. Yeah. They, but they like, they talk different. They sound <laughs> different. Oh yeah. The yeah. jokes are different. Yeah. Right? They have different hobbies after work than I have, to, you know, but that's okay. Uh, they yeah. really fill a need for a specific, uh, role, you know, and a salesperson's probably much more outgoing than me, less shy. Um, I'm always a quiet introvert type guy. You know, those guys are a little bit more boisterous, more confident usually than me. But again, you got to pick the right people to complement what you're not good at so that, you're well-rounded, you know, to hit those core values that you want to, you want to get. Yeah. And, and just what a great reminder that when you, you're actually trying to build out criteria of what you're looking for in the team, actually write out what you need them to be able to do. It's not about, do they make the same jokes that make you laugh? Right? <laughs> yeah. If they do, it's bonus. That's sure. nice. Yeah. But more importantly, do they have what it takes to like put that fence in or to count all those screws or keep track of this or make sure they're on time or whatever the, the critical aspect is, can they do that? And then all the other stuff is, is kind of bonus. Absolutely. Yep. I agree. Amazing. Okay. So that was two. What was three? Yeah. So basically now it's just, uh, again, following into your flow. You have to meet regularly and you have to keep the communication communication flowing. Um, if you're not meeting, if everybody's not consistently reminding each other as separate groups, you know, sales, operations, finance, et cetera, if they're not reminding each other of what the goals are, if they're not actively checking to make sure that each department is meeting those criteria, well, now you've got, you know, one guy going in one direction, one guy going in another. So once you've gotten to the point where now you're maybe managing these groups of guys that are managing your departments, if you're not actively meeting, if you're not keeping everybody on the same page, well, what's the point of doing it? Because everybody's going to be off on their own. Like we said, they're all going to be different people. They're all going to have different ideas. If they're not all agreeing or at least consensusly agreeing on what the flow is, uh, it will blow up in your face. So that would be the third is to continuously meet to make sure that the communication stays open with the plan and, you know, again, meeting the values. Yeah. hundred percent. Yep. Communicate. Do you, do you, is, is everyone in the same meeting in terms of your, do you have like yeah. all 80 people in one meeting? Great question. Or no, no. So or? Uh, we would usually only meet with a full uh, company quarterly. We would meet once a quarter to just go over basically the full flow of the company. And that's going to be um, every aspect of the team from the helper to the installation team, to sales, to finance, to, you know, manufacturing. Um, everybody's going to sit in that and it's going to basically go over all the departments. Um, and usually we try to meet with the departments weekly. 
um, you know, a manager of the department will meet with weekly. Sometimes it's a team, sometimes it's an individual. We aren't the largest company. Uh, we max out around 30 to 35 employees in the summertime. So, you know, you might have a department meeting that's uh, one person and, you know, an, an integrator, you know, and otherwise it's basically uh, a department. We usually try to do that once a week. Um, Got it. Yeah. So that's about as often as we meet. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So one, know yourself. Where's the finish line? Two, build out the team. Make sure they're capable. Three, meet regularly. Communication is flowing. What's next? So the last one's the hardest one. That's to oh. let go of the reins and that's to delegate. Um, again, going back to it, why do people feel like they need to do it? They feel like they're the best. It's so hard to let go. Once you've got these people and they know what they need to do and those metrics are in place that we're going to measure, you got to let go. You've got to delegate. It's good to still know everything that's going on in your company or maybe hire somebody that's going to do that for you. But you yourself have to let go. You're not always going to have all the right answers. You're not the smartest one in the room. Hopefully, if you've picked your team the right way, let go. Uh, give up the uh, the reins and delegate that work. Train the people who you've delegated to to train others to delegate so that they can continue that same process. The, the more people that can delegate down, the the higher and bigger you can grow. So that's the last one. Let go. Let go. I mean, and to your point, easier said than done, but it that, that's the critical step. And, and I love how you said you have the people in place. They know what they need to do. Let them freaking do it. Let them you do know? It. Yeah. Now it's let it, let them, but you, those other parts were important. You got them. They're good people and they know what they need to do. Things are clear. So just now, now it's not just like I'm letting go and it's like wild chaos. It's like, no, it's, it's pretty ordered at that point. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Man, you know, one of the things I found just a long time ago, I, I remember, thinking to myself like, well, I don't know if I, I don't trust people as much as I think I do, you know? Yeah. Like I'm super trusting to like random people in the grocery store, you know, until they prove otherwise. But yeah. then, you know, when it came to my own team, it would be like, oh, you know, well, they're probably going to mess that up, you know? And, yeah. um, it, and that was you know years ago, but it took me time to realize, wait, why, why am I holding them to some superhuman, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They might mess, yeah. mess up. They probably will, but yeah then they'll learn from it. And ideally they don't do it again, you know, yep. and, and maybe that's your it. process wasn't clear and that's actually your fault that they messed sure. up. Absolutely. I mean, another, I sound like an old soul, but another old adage, my grandfather used to say it all the time is if you give a guy a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime by holding them back. And by thinking that I, I used to do it all the time, I'd think a thought I'm going to give the guy an order. And then halfway through it, I would think to myself, He's probably going to do it wrong. And then I would just verbally say, hey, never mind. Don't worry about it. Let's go do it together. And I would go over there and I would do it. And what did they gain from that? Nothing. If they did it wrong, I probably wouldn't have liked it. But, you know, it was a medial task. I should have let them get it wrong a few times to teach them how to do it on their own. And then they could have done it for me forever. Instead, I would I would just think quickly, oh, well, how can I get it done the fastest? Ah, forget it. I'll just go do it myself. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely yeah. have tried to incorporate that in my mindset. It's okay if they make mistakes. That's the only way they're going to learn. So, you know, that, that's the you way know, we'll go. I love that example. And I, I think that works not only physically, but mentally as well. And it comes to, there's a question or there's something, like I just heard something in a meeting or we, we listen to other people's podcasts. And, and rather than just say, oh, okay, this is, this, is, this is what I heard. This is what's wrong. This needs to change. I've started now where I'll ask, hey, what did you guys hear? You know, yeah. what, what did you hear? And maybe they guess the thing I'm thinking. Maybe they, oftentimes now they do. Yeah. What's really cool to your point 
and maybe this is helpful for people in this transition is that it's actually really cool when you've been doing, you've done this because then not only are they doing it and you, you're not having to do it, but, uh, but they're really good at it. Sometimes they're even better than you at it. Yeah. And, and then you can have these conversations where they already know what you're going to say and they already, Absolutely. they already addressed it. And you're like, Oh, yep. okay. Never nice. mind. Yeah. Yeah. I'll then they that. yell back at you. I already did that. Don't worry about it. That's my yeah. job. Oh, good, good. Okay. Just check okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I tell people, you know, CC me on that email or whatnot, but yeah. some, until I, until I get bored with you and boy, <laughs> there's nothing. I, I can't say anything, man. This is great. This email is perfect. You know, take yep. me off the thread. I don't need to see it. Perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, amazing. So those, those are the four, huh? Um, any, any, uh, I mean, how, how do you let go? You just trial and error. You just, yeah, I think what it was for me was, uh, I really had, um, you know, uh, a goal in my mind, I had an idea in my mind of what I wanted to do with the company. And I knew that I wasn't ever going to just be satisfied with, uh, you know, in my mind, I measure things by trucks, right? Obviously every industry is going to measure things differently, but a three truck company that goes out and is at three homes a day that might sell some, you know, over the counter stuff to make a good living. They're not going to be very wealthy or rich and not that wealthy or rich is what drives me, but they were just going to be at a certain size. And I knew that I could probably just do that myself forever and I would be okay. But that just wasn't what I personally wanted. I always had ambition for, you know, watching Marcus Lemonis on TV and thinking, oh, I could franchise this thing one day. I haven't seen a whole lot of fence franchises before. So I had that deep drive in my head that I should learn more. I should learn more about the business. I should try to make my process clear. I should try to delegate. Well, then I can do six trucks because if I have a guy that can manage three and I can, then it got to, well, there's two guys and they can each manage three. So, and as you do it, you feel, you know, I guess more confident. It gets addicting almost, uh, I guess as entrepreneurs, we probably are all kind of that way. Maybe not all of us, but I've got that addictive personality that once I've done it and it's stuck and it's worked right, now my ambition grows and I would like to go more. So um, I think it's just, feeling like you have that plan in mind and knowing what you want. And then once you've got it, it, it knocks you in the head. It's like, I can't keep doing it this way anymore. If what I want is six crews and not three, well, I have to let go. And it forces your hand. You don't have a yeah. choice. You, you grow yourself too big to what you can handle. And by default, whether you're planned for it or not, someone else is going to have to step up. Um, you know, and that's when those steps come into play. All right, now let's create a plan so that it's not as you said, just chaos. It's not just a bunch of people trying to do too much. Then you hit your ceiling. And even if you want to grow, you're losing money, you know, because you're not organized for it. So, yeah. 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 And it's not like we're saying you just go cold Turkey and you just take your hands off of everything, you know? Nope. And I, I think I love how you just, it's like little baby steps, you know, like a delegate here or, you know, trust someone here for, you know, let go of the rain here. And then to your point, it's addicting. You're like, well, that worked out well. Yeah. Um, I don't think about that anymore. That's great. Exactly. My brain has more room now. Yep. Let's do that some more. And then to yeah. your point, if you want to then get, add more trucks, add more capacity, you need to. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, it's something that you just said that it hits it. It's when you're an entrepreneur, oftentimes when you start out, you're wearing the hat of all of, of those pieces. And so basically what happens is, is that when you find somebody who you really trust, you don't know who it's going to be. I might set out 
15 years ago to say, I just want a salesman. And no matter how hard I tried to find a salesman, I wasn't finding that piece. But then I found a guy who was excellent at managing operations. And it wasn't even by design. It was just that he fit the values and he was going to be able to take the operations off my back. It allowed me to slide out of operations and more into sales. Well, now I could really perfect sales. And then we found a sales guy. You know, it wasn't that I always got the plan in which direction I would relinquish the, uh, the control. But as you have that plan in mind, the people come to you, they stick, and then you just put out the fires that are left until all the fires are gone. And then, you know, you've got the people in place. Then you create more fires and try to grow another level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not like the fires ever stop. Nope. The whole point, you know? <laughs> yep. that, they yep. just get bigger, but you're, you get more capable of doing it. Exactly. So, yeah, it makes total sense. Uh, well, I wanted to shift a little bit and, and you know, we're constantly learning in EO and, you know, I know you were constantly thinking about different things. Do you have um, like a most recommended book or podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say I'll stick to, uh, to a book and my favorite book that I have read is Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. But I would also say that anything written by Napoleon Hill, he's definitely my favorite author as far as everything goes. Uh, yeah. What's Outwitting about? So Outwitting the Devil, uh, if you know Napoleon Hill, he, his job basically was he did a bunch of stuff. He was printing magazines, newspapers, et cetera. But his passion, his goal was that he was going to interview a bunch of people who failed, a lot of them, and as many people as he could that did not, that succeeded. And basically, he created a science around how these people succeeded. He realized that almost all of them had so many common personalities, so many common traits, and he wrote all of his books about it. Oh, winning the devil was like an offshoot of the business end of it, and it was more of like a personal end of it. And what he got into was basically cycles, and he basically called everything like the cyclone of, of life. And the more bad habits that you take on, and he gets very deep, and way back in the 1900s, he was so ahead of his time, he talks about smoking, he talks about healthy eating habits, and he goes so deep into like the human psyche, basically explaining that if I create these plans and these patterns, and I put out good energy into the world, and I constantly believe, and I continuously remind myself, I write it down and I stick it on the wall and I read it to myself every day. Eventually those good things will happen for me as long as I stick to my plans. But on the, the opposite end, you know, the devil's pulling you back in and he's not talking about the devil, like the devil that you would commonly think he's calling these poor habits. He's calling these mm. uh, bad ways, the devil. And he's saying that the deeper into that black hole, into that, you know, uh, spout that you suck, the harder it is to get back out. So that was my favorite just because it helped me with like my personality. You know, we all go through highs and lows. Uh, we've all had hard times in life and it's super easy when the bad times are there for you to let that weigh you down and want you to give up. Um, but a book like that, it really helped me to concentrate on what was important, take that deep breath every day and remind myself of what I'm thankful for and what I'm really looking to do. And it helps those small things not weigh you down as much when you concentrate so much on what you can accomplish. And again, it's like, you know, uh, really important with all those other things too. If every time somebody lets you down that you're trying to put onto your leadership team, you let it sink you into a deeper uh, depression, what's the chances that you're going to be able to build that team and trust people and get out? So that really resonated with me. That was a good book, but he also has other books, um, you know, like 16 rules of success. I think it's called, he's got a bunch of them and he's excellent. Really, really good uh, author. Yeah. He, um, I, I've heard, I've definitely read a couple of those. Um, I mean, you're right though. He, he was such a head of his time. I mean, yeah. man, I mean, back then it's like trying to avoid cholera and 
everyone's wearing suits everywhere and yep and you know just trying to make sure you have enough food in the table he's yeah. able to really he's talking push. about energies he's explaining yeah. that your mind is a receiving station for you know thoughts i mean he really gets into some deep stuff that you know some people might even say it's like oh it's too spiritual i don't want to go there but i mean for a guy in the 1900s to say what you eat and your stomach being so important you know and he goes into so much about like the body and the way to treat it so that your body can help you to be positive, you know? And again, like he, he goes into that. He, he explains in one of his uh, books that like in, on uh, V day, victory day, that you knew that the war was over because the energy was being put out by so many people all over the world of happy thoughts that maybe you didn't even hear the, uh, the radio or hear the bells going off in your town, but you just knew something really, really good happened because so many people were broadcasting such powerful vibrations. Um, again, that stuff really resonates to me. I believe in that. You know, how many times have you been thinking about somebody or, you know, it's really like a deep thought of yours. And then like the next day that person calls you or, you know, you're really wondering about a positive, a client. I, I looked at that job that really, you know, I wonder what happened with that guy. And you've got this deep, deep thought about him. And then 30 minutes later, who calls, you know, that's the guy. So it's just funny how that stuff works. And again, like I said, I really, uh, I found that powerful. You know, when you bring up VE day, you know, the idea of something like World War II. I mean, we've got sort of, we've had these sort of wars that since then, but nothing is so total and like all encompassing and you're not sure. using rubber. Yep. And you don't want to use sugar because the soldiers need it. And like this whole all encompassing thing, I can, I, can, can't even imagine, but I kind of get chills thinking about I have them right now, as you're saying, you know, <laughs> yeah. everyone knowing that it's over and everyone having that, that, that sort of letting out that air, just sort of that, ah, you know, and yep. this collective sigh from everyone, but also the collective energy. Um, you see the pictures in New York city where everyone's celebrating, yeah. you know, but, but I, I, I kind of feel a little, little bit of that on new year's Eve, you know, sure, kinda, absolutely. Kinda feel yeah. A little bit like that. Like there are enough people that are kind of feeling it. I mean, you know, the, yep. the crazies downtown, you know, yeah. with where the ball's <laughs> dropping. It's a little too cold, you know, and crowded for me for that. But, um, but yeah, collectively the world is kind of like what's coming next, you know, but I can only imagine the VE day just, you're like, yeah, it's euphoric. Buzz, yep. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I say, so that's the type of stuff that, uh, you know, reading all the books, there's so many things out there. I'm reading right now, traction. Um, yeah. Traction's a lot about this type of stuff and setting up uh, meetings and so on. But uh, so many good books out there. But he just seemed like he encompassed so much. He could take you into the business aspect of how Carnegie and Rockefeller ran their day-to-day -day operations and what made them so so good. But then he could also explain to you your body and mind's you know aspect in that. And, really cool stuff what did he know about food you mentioned the, the food yeah so uh you know basically what he goes into is he explains that your gut is as important as your brain is and that people that overeat and overindulge and they're constantly you know bloating their stomach and messing with their uh digestive tract and you know not to be vulgar but like regular bowel movements all that stuff he's not a scientist but and no one's even really at that point known a whole lot about that but he's explaining your ulcers and your uh, how if you have a bad stomach, you can't clearly think at a business meeting. And he's like the guy that drinks all night and overindulges and eats that next morning. How productive is he? And yeah. he's saying it business oriented. But, you know, now 115 years later, we know that those are the types of things that kill people at a young age and, you know, cause cancer and things like that. So I found that to be impressive. And like smoking, everybody smoked back then. There wasn't 
a person that didn't smoke. And he's explaining that habit, you know, as a negative impact that can't be good for you. You're spending money on it. You're distracted by it. It's the devil, right? It isn't the devil, but that habit is a poor habit. So he did a really good job of dissecting those bad habits and saying gambling. He talks about gambling. Um, you know, again, it's uh, one of his major chapters across a lot of his work is just drive, sex drive. He explains the sex drive as being super important. And if you can harness it and put it correct and be a good person, but use that drive in other channels. I mean, again, like think about all these things he's getting into with your body and your mind and your psyche. And he's explaining how powerful that can make you in business. Uh, you know, wow. To be that way 120 years ago is just, it was amazing. That is amazing. And yep. and such a good point, just harnessing, it's either you're going to harness that and be aware of that, all those different energies and pulls and pushes, or you're just going to ride the roller coaster of them and yep. not be aware and wonder yep. why you're feeling blue today. Yep. You know? And as we talk and, you know, we talk about that, it's like the same thing that we just talked about with all that. If you just go in willy nilly with no plan for your guys and your people and your there's energies everywhere. Every person's got that energy coming in every day. They might be in a good mood. They might be in a bad mood. They might know what they're doing. They might not know what they're doing. All that blends together. You know, if you can recognize those things and you can plan for them, you know, have a, a goal in mind of how you're going to do it, you're going to have good success. Oh, and the same token with your personal stuff, you know, and who says that that's easy either? We all have our, our weaknesses. And even though I read the book, you know, every couple of years to remind myself, I still find myself thinking, oh, man, here we go again. I'm going the wrong path. But uh, it's good to, to read about it, to be reminded of it. Try to get yourself back in order. That's so huge, right? I mean, it, it is those those other things. Sometimes it's not even about business. It's about all the yeah. other stuff around that sets you up for sure. one meeting, you know, it, it, to your point, it, it, well, not even being hungover, but if you if you were unhealthy in some way beforehand, the chances are like or higher that that meeting may not go so well. You may not be on your game. Yeah, I don't know about you, but back in the day, I've definitely done done a job interview um, after having a party the night before. And <laughs> I was an idiot, and they definitely didn't hire me because they would ask me a question, and then I'm like, yeah, I know the answer to that. I've said it before. I'm like, where is that in there though? Like, yeah. And yeah, please come out. <laughs> like you, you can't. You got to set yourself up for success that way. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely amazing. Hey, great reminder of that book. I mean, just a great reminder to think about stuff like that. And and I mean, sometimes we get focused on 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 business when you know, just like we were the ones holding on to not delegating, we might be the ones with whatever goofy thing we've got as a as a leader that we're holding back our team with some of these other routines, right? that whatever devil has us looped in, maybe holding your entire company back. Yep, absolutely. A hundred percent correct. You know, we've all been there where we've had those bad days that we've gone in and haven't been that positive uh, shining light in the morning. And you can see that holding your team back because when you're not as engaged and you're not as happy, that rubs off on them. Hey, and as business owners, we've all seen the employees that come in that way that they might not be on their A game or maybe they are hungover. They're just really upset with their spouse or whatever. It really does. That can put a, a quick burden on a, a whole crew. We're never going to eliminate it all the way, but it's good to be conscious about it and, you know, actively trying to be helping everybody to be as positive and, you know, goal oriented yeah. as they can. Everyone's got that journey, right? Everyone's got the yes, journey. Everyone's got the dreams, but they may have had that fight with the family member, the spouse, the friend, the brother, the whoever, the stranger on the street. So they may be just loaded with those emotions when they come in. Yep. You don't know. Nope. You know, you don't know if they've had the worst day of their life or someone just died or best day of their life. 
You have exactly. no idea, but I think it helps recognizing that it's all possible. Yep. The people you're interacting with. Yeah. Absolutely. Crazy, man. Well, I, I we know each other, but I'd love to just ask you this question because I'd love to know more about you. Who are you, Matt? Take me back in time. <laughs> yeah. Little Matt, did you always know you're going to be, you know, uh, the the owner and the boss of this growing fencing company and this trade? Did you always know you were bound for entrepreneurship or what was it like growing up? Yeah, so I mean, uh, it, it was a it was an awesome uh, childhood. I was born in Revere, Massachusetts, but I only lived there for a short period of time. When I was around two, uh, my parents purchased a home in Peabody, Mass. Um, that's where I grew up. I spent all of my childhood and uh, some of my you know young adulthood in uh, Peabody, Massachusetts. I went to St. John's in Peabody uh, for grade school, so I've always been uh, in Catholic schools. Went to Bishop Fenwick for my my high school uh, younger years were great growing up. I had two younger sisters. Uh, my grandparents were both sides, you know, involved in my life. So kind of had that like perfect, uh, you know, first first quite a few years of, of life. Everything was awesome. My grandfather on my dad's side had started JC Fence Company. Uh, he was the first generation. And my dad, you know, with some uh, ins and outs, for the most part, he worked for or worked with my grandfather until the time that he took over the company. My other grandfather, who's a huge influence on me, was a machine shop guy. He was in the Navy before that. So uh, growing up, it was always kind of just like expected that I would go to college and pick a career and that I wouldn't be in the fence industry, right? A lot of people have that stigma to the trades. And my grandfather and father being in the trenches doing a lot of those 50, 60 hour uh, days, not having a very clear goal, probably, of what it was they wanted. They just knew that they needed to support their families. They didn't want that life for me um, because they didn't want me to be digging holes until I was 40, or they didn't want me working 60 hours a week. So uh, pretty much I was expected that I was going to go to college. I always wanted to be a lawyer. So no, I didn't uh, right. know I was going to be an entrepreneur. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. That being said, when I was younger, I saw that entrepreneurship. So I was the guy with my buddies that were probably hear this from every entrepreneur shoveling driveways for like 20 bucks in the wintertime when it snowed and we had a you know an off day me and my sisters made lemonade stands and threw them in front of the house and like nobody came but three people would come and buy like a jug of lemonade and give you five bucks so i always had that like i can do it myself kind of uh mentality uh so then uh you know crazy stuff right we all have crazy yeah. stories uh, accident happens in my family when I'm in uh, high school and my dad's out of the picture. He's not going to be able to run the company anymore. And at that point, I wouldn't say that I was forced into, but I made a conscious decision that I like to be an entrepreneur. And I did have high expectations of what I thought my dad was going to do with the company and what I thought I could do with the company. So I made that decision. I made the decision to go into business. That was when I went to work for my grandfather for a few years until I could get enough money to purchase the company. Uh, you know, kind of brings me into modern day today. Right now, we own JC Fence. Uh, JC Fence is located in Middleton, Massachusetts. That's my one major company. And as the years went on, uh, one of their goals was always to stop paying rent, to own land, have our own warehouse. So I opened a second company. Um, it's a 301 real estate trust company. I purchased some land throughout my career. I knocked down uh, old home there, redid the land, and I built my own building and office space there. So that's sort of uh, taking you from what got me from being little to where I'm at today. And uh, now that's what we're doing. Wow. Wow. So not only the fence, but also the, the real estate and putting up buildings and 
Yeah, that was one of my craziest uh, times of my life. In 2007, I purchased the company. So, you know, we all know the way that the world works. Times were pretty good in the late 90s, uh, dot-com booms. The business was pretty good. I was able to save a bit, a bunch of money working for my grandfather and living at home from, you know, 18 to like 20, 21. Uh, when the time came, 2007, that he was ready to retire, I built, I bought the business and I bought a home that was commercially uh, zoned in Middleton, Massachusetts, right on Route 114. Um, 2008, we all know what happens next. Uh, economy crashes. Now I've got a brand new company and I just spent all of my money that I had mm. saved on getting those stuff. Mm. And, you know, hard times ensue. I end up not putting the business on that land because I needed the money to to stay afloat, right? So uh, between 2008 and 2017, we went down into the dumps. You know, 2011, we really start to regrow. Uh, at that point, I noticed that the neighbor to my home is going to sell his, his, his land, his building, and I can combine those two places. I'd obviously since grown out from 2007 size, that place I had originally purchased was no longer good for me. So yeah, we ended up uh, deciding to purchase the land next door, go in front of the town, get them combined, uh, knock down the old structures and, and build back up again. So it was 2017 until really about you know spring of last year that I had to take that on. And man, I'll tell you what, that was, it was crazy. It was one of those things where it's like, you know, wish I could go back in time and yell at myself. I thought I could GC it. I thought I could learn as I went. I'm a fence guy, not a, uh, a builder. I didn't know anything about codes and permits and all the rules and regulations. And uh, yeah, I got my butt whooped on it, but it's done. Yeah. The building is so, up and yeah, we've so learned our you, lessons. Would you do uh, any kind of building? Are, are, are you I wasn't jaded. I wasn't jaded. I, <laughs> jaded I, from yeah, I got my uh, hits. I learned my lessons. I feel like I came out on the other side having by no means an expertise in the matter, but I know enough now that I could get by with a little bit of help. I'd hire that general contractor this time instead of uh, thinking I was going to save money because you're not, you know, hire the expert for what they do. If you want a fence, don't hire the plumber, hire the fence guy. If you want a building built, don't hire the fence guy, hire the building builder. So yeah, yeah. I'll definitely do it again. Uh, I hope to, you know, replicate another building in another location at some point in the future, but uh, definitely won't be doing it all by myself again. Learn yeah. that lesson. <laughs> yeah. And what about real estate itself? I, you, you, is that kind of fun for you? The It is. Yeah, I do. I enjoy that. Uh, you know, again, here we go again, but I grew up always hearing the stories. Hey, if I still own that first house that I had that I paid $10,000 for in 1970, it's worth 800000 today. Imagine that. Well, what got you know your uh, your yeah. few, your past relatives to sell that house? Well, they wanted to sell it. They wanted the equity. They wanted to to get better. But imagine if you kept every home that your grandfather had, and instead of him uh, selling out, he paid the mortgage off, rented it out, and bought another one. You can just imagine, you know, that that's how a lot of the the successful people built that generational wealth. So it is something that I do have interest in. Not so much in like a retail or homeowner type of like, I want to buy a bunch of homes and rent those out or Airbnb them. But I do have the interest in more of the commercial side where I'm in a unique situation where my business can rent from myself. So yeah. um, I own the two businesses and one of them pays rent to the other. Well, if I ever could get my company to the point where we could relocate and run a second fence company in a second location, what better situation than to have the real estate company build my own building and then have my fence company, which already has the revenue rent it. You know, obviously you could rent it to other commercial places, but that's sort of where my interest lies in the uh, real estate side of things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
especially if you can be your own building and pay your own yeah, rent. You don't have you know? tenants anymore, right? What's everybody complaining about when they rent? Oh, geez, the tenants didn't pay or they yeah. messed up the property or, you know, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Well, if you're your own <laughs> yeah. you know, tenant, that sure makes life a little bit easier. <laughs> you know, and if you put up, if you punch your wall and put a hole through it, at least it's your own wall. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. Well, I have a hypothetical question for you. Sure. Uh, I may or may not have a time machine up in New Hampshire, right? Come over, come visit, get some beers, we get some lobster or whatever. And uh, we go use the time machine in the backyard. And it's a particular kind of time machine because it takes you back in time to like young you i mean you're still young anyways but like like we're talking i have uh, white hairs just like everybody else yeah <laughs> right this is before the fence company this is maybe like start of your 20s or something like that you're just you know uh, starting to think maybe there's a little something here and you get to go meet that version of you that matt you yep. can talk to him you can say whatever you want to won't mess up the space time continuum you'll be good um what do you tell yourself i would tell myself that I need to uh, lessen my my pride and take more advice, take more help. So uh, I always thought, you know, hey, I'll take the lumps. I'll learn it the hard way, but I'll do it myself. I don't need anybody's help. And I've always been a shy introvert that didn't like to network and go out and meet people. And, uh, you know, for the beginning of my business career, from when I was 14 until probably 24, 25, I wanted no help from anybody, not my grandfather, not the guy who already ran a $20 million fence company. I was going to do it. I was determined to do it my way. Um, obviously, as I matured and I have been talked into joining groups like EO uh, with yourself, being mentored by other people in, in business, being put onto by books. I always like to read and I like to learn, but I like to do it on my terms. Well, I would go back and tell myself, stop being so stubborn, stop being so prideful, Take the help from the people around you. And it isn't help. You know, you know, like, yo, no one tells you what to do, but man, it sure is eye opening. It's been enlightening to be able to surround myself with people who have been in situations that they can relate to me and just, you know, tell me what they did. And it takes the bumps, the bruises, the nicks. I, I, I probably hindered myself from massive amounts of growth over that decade because of my reluctancy to learn from others. I would go back and tell myself to, Get to EO now. Why am I waiting? Get into a mentorship program now. What are you waiting for? Uh, hurry up and get somebody to help you out because you can grow 100 times faster with those support systems around you than you can just trying to be stubborn and, and do it yourself. Totally. And would stubborn Matt listen to you? How you how stubborn Matt would have told me to get lost and he would have uh, still done the same thing. So it's get easier lost, to old man. Done. Like we call yeah. it old, man. <laughs> yeah. Wrestling with yourself. You know? <laughs> yes. Yes. Not just in my mind. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, man, if I could get that through to myself, I would have uh, I would have definitely been much better off for it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned EO too. What what a cool environment where people are so humble and you know, I think a lot of times you have that, you know, CEO saying, Oh, I'm I'm perfect. Or, or like we're saying, like sometimes we feel that, oh, we we got this, we got this. But in EO, the the prevailing atmosphere is like, Yeah, you know, I've definitely made a lot of mistakes. You yep. know, and definitely not perfect. And it's almost like everyone is just much more humble. Yeah. Because you all realize you're just on a, a journey and you're all learning and and sharing experiences. And so, and once you start picking up on that attitude, you're like, oh, man, I actually would listen to these people. 
Yes, then the, exactly. But then the, the flip is no one in EO tells you what to do, like you said, right? Right. So right about now you're ready to listen to people and no one's going to say what to do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you almost, you know, you, you enjoy that and you relish in it because it does give you that bit of pride still that they can take you there. They can bring up ideas and unique uh, options for you, but they're not going to hold your hand and do it for you. You still have to be the one that takes that initiative to, yeah. But, you know, from what I've been in there, it's just so amazing how, personable everybody is again just like all the stuff we've been talking about today we don't just go in there and talk business people really break down and get real and i think that's awesome as well because it helps you like you said i'm not alone in this i'm not the only one that's going through all these things and if he can do it and he can do it and he can do it and they can do it at such a high level well it's possible it can be done so it really gives you a home and you know it gives you that peace of mind at night where you're not gonna go crazy and confidence yes. you guys give confidence to everybody you know it's like everybody sits in a room maybe you were on the wall about doing something and everybody in the room doesn't say what the regular people at home would tell you hey don't do that that's crazy you're going to risk a lot of money oh yeah that's good you can definitely do that man it's refreshing to hear that it's refreshing to hear that uh, confidence in people so i love it absolutely yeah <laughs> i've even i've even gotten some flack from some people i'm, I'm worried about oh should i do this is this do you, does everyone do this? And they're like, uh, yeah, you, you haven't, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. It's cool. This is, yeah. oh yeah. Everyone does it. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. Right. Yeah. Wait. Um, or the opposite where you're like, oh man, I'm dealing with this. This is rough. You know? And you got people going, yeah, it's rough. Guess what? There's no secret solution nope. either. You <laughs> yep. just got to deal with it. But yeah, it's rough. I, and yeah. it was just enough to hear that, you know, you know, they can't solve it. You got to go do what you got to do, but at least, you know, five other people are like, yeah, yeah <laughs> you'll get through this you're not alone <laughs> you're not alone yeah. yeah totally man well hey where can people reach out um contact you uh and also learn more about jc fence in case they need to you know get some fences put in yeah. taken out that kind of thing. absolutely so i'm uh really easy to reach at my email which is my name matt at jc fence northshore.com super uh willing to answer questions and help anybody with anything that they need fence or otherwise related uh also thanks to you i'm a new member of linkedin and my name on there is matt sheridana uh also we're all over social media that's our real big footprint uh we're on facebook we're on instagram uh our handle is at jc fence north shore so that's where you can go to see our work uh or if you want to talk to me email or linkedin now since i'm a new member Thanks. Yay, right on. Yeah. And, and for everyone listening, we, we put all of that in the show notes. You can just click into your app and look at that and click right through, connect. And hey, Matt, you need connections, man. Welcome to I know. LinkedIn. I got to get you some new connections. friends. So yeah. everyone listening to this, just, you know, pull up Matt, uh, fellow EO members, even if you're not an EO, pull up Matt, shoot him a connection request, tell him you heard him on the podcast uh, and you appreciated the interview. Cool. Cool, man. Well, hey, uh, thanks for coming on here. What'd you yeah, think? Thank you. Oh, it was awesome. Great time as it always is talking with you anyways, but uh, awesome show. I love what you're doing. And uh, like I said, I've listened to a ton of the podcast. So keep up the good work. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. And now you've been on it. So yes. It's a yeah. totally different experience. <laughs> Absolutely. You survived. It was great. No, a lot of good stuff. And, and so for those people listening, if you learn something and I freaking know you do or did, because I literally have a page front and back of notes over here, things that we've been chatting about today. But if you learn about those four things, knowing yourself, building a team, meet regularly, um, letting go of the reins, man. That's We're all here for, to do that. It, or the book, the Outwitting the Devil. I'm going to check that one out. Um, all the different things we've talked about. If you learn something, share this episode with one other person. That's 
That's the ask here. And that's how you're a thought leader. Literally be a thought leader right now, just hitting share on your app and sharing this, this podcast with someone else and, and help them grow from this, this whole conversation as well. And with that, Matt, thanks again, man. Thank you, Casey. Have a great day. Absolutely. And for those listening, this has been a really cool, fun, exciting, hip, hardworking episode of Leadership in Action. We will see you all next time. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.